want to share it. We all need to laugh, right? Okay, maybe you'll laugh at this. Um, yesterday, if you've um, ever been around my kids, it's, you know it's an experience, and um, we have four lovely angels. Um, Cooper is one of my twins. He's 10 years old, and him and I were riding around yesterday, and, and um, if you've ever been around Cooper, you know he sounds a lot like Froggy. He talks like this. And, uh, so we're riding down the road, and he says, Daddy. I said, what, buddy? And he went on to, to tell me a story of when he was riding around with his mo mother the other day. And he said, he was telling me that he had pulled up and they were riding down the road and they saw a sign um, that had been hung on the side of the interstate. And um, he said, Daddy, they had hung the sign. They put the post in the ground, but they put the sign on upside down. He said, so you know what I thought? I said, what, buddy? He goes, you had one job. <laughs> so... <laughs> Yeah, so that's the intelligence of my 10-year-old. That's, you see that he, yeah, you had one job. Yeah, and so anyway, on, a, on another note, um, I do want to um, share with you, um, maybe not share with you, ask you to do something before we jump in this morning. Um, some of you have probably seen it on social media. Um, I know some of our folks have journeyed um, down the road today um, because there's somebody down the road at another church named Free Chapel. What's his name today? Tim Tebow, all the ladies said, Tim Tebow. Um, but here's what I want us to do this morning. There is no doubt that people are flocking from everywhere to step foot on that campus to hear this man share his story, to share his testimony. And, and the truth is, is a lot of people are going there to see Tim Tebow and they could care less about Jesus. It's the reality. But guess what? God's given him that platform. And so what we're going to do right now is I don't care what people showed up at Free Chapel looking for today, we're going to pray that when they leave, that they went looking for Tim Tebow, but they walked away finding Jesus. And so what we're going to do, I'm going to ask you this morning, if you'll join me, um, we're going to pray um, for Tim and we're going to look at Tim like we're buddies. He texted me a while ago and asked me to do this. Um, said, you got it, Timmy. I'll text you back. Uh, anyway. But let's pray for Tim Tebow, all right? Even Georgia fans, we're going to pray. The Lushes are here. I'll be honest, I was shocked that he's coming in with glory, blue, gold, but he's, or blue and orange, I'm sorry. But they're here, praise the Lord. But let's pray. God, this morning, as um, thousands of people have gathered in a local church today to, uh, to hear stories, to hear testimony, God, to see a man God, I am thankful for that man. Lord, I am thankful for his testimony. I am thankful for what he stands for. But God, today, Lord, I pray that you would use that man in a mighty, mighty way. I pray that you would anoint every word that comes out of his mouth this morning, Lord. And if his flesh speaks, God, we pray that you would shut his mouth. And God, I pray that in Jesus' name, God, as thousands of people are on that campus looking to see something about a man named Tim Tebow, God, I pray that they would walk away saying so much more about the Son of God, and his name is Jesus Christ. And so God, today, we are praying for salvation to take place at Free Chapel today. And God, we're gonna praise you for it because God, the reality is, is if people are saved this morning on that campus, your kingdom grows. And so God, that's what we're all here for is to make your name famous. And so God, we thank you in advance for what you're gonna do there today. But God, also we are praying for salvation here. God, we are praying today that you are drawing people to yourself and that maybe today is that day of surrender. And God, we're gonna trust you with it. And then all these things that we're gonna ask today are in the powerful name of your son, Jesus. And all God's people said, 
Amen. All right, how many are excited about week 27 of Habakkuk? It's what it feels like. I think we're on like four now, three or four. I don't even really remember what week we're on. Um, but we are, we got to jump right in this morning. We've got a lot to cover this morning. We're actually going to cover so much that we're going to cover twice as much as we did last week. The middle schoolers, listen, did y'all hear that? The middle schoolers said two verses. They're right. We're going to cover twice as much. Last week was one. This week we're two. Okay. So, um, there is a lot of information that is, that is packed in these two verses. Um, but just to remind you of where we've been so far up to this point, um, where we ended last week in the, the very first book of the book of Habakkuk, or the, the very first verse of chapter two, we all know that was coming off the tail end of chapter one. He did nothing but complain to God. He complained about the state of the, the condition of the country. He, explained, he, just, he was so frustrated that God was not doing what he wanted him to do. But then in the very first part of, of chapter two, what we notice is we see Habakkuk makes a commitment. He makes a commitment and he says, we, we, we read it last week that he was gonna basically receive and, and, and acknowledge the responsibility that God had given him. He was talking about his guard post and we all asked you last week, what's your guard post? What has God entrusted you with? What is your obligation and your service that God has laid out before you that he wants you to fulfill? Is it your family? Is it your job? Is it your team? Is it your classmates? But the reality is, is all of us as believers have some sort of guard post. But then we saw the commitment that he made. He said, okay, God, I, I don't really understand everything that you're doing, but I'm gonna accept the responsibility that you've given me and then we mentioned that the way we ended is he said, I'm gonna station myself on the rampart, meaning that he was gonna fix himself in a position where he could watch for the enemy's attack against Judah, but more importantly, so that he could hear God speak. So that he could hear God speak and God to give him instruction. And so we, we, we noticed all of those things last week and I don't know about you, but I left here challenged again that have I taken on the responsibility that my guard post, number one, is, is my home, is my family? Am I watching for the enemy's attacks against my wife? Am I watching for the enemy's attacks against my children? But then also, am I listening for God on direction on how to lead my family? Am I doing all of those things of what God has called me to do? And then what I found out is there's a lot of areas that I fell in. There's a lot of areas as a dad that I fell in. There's a lot of areas as a husband that I fell in. But what we all have to make a commitment today is that we've got to fix ourselves in a position to where God can continue to give us that instruction in that direction. You know, um, so, so what we're going to read today is, is God's response. Habakkuk fixed himself in a position to where he could hear God speak. And what we're going to read today is what God says back. Now, I'll go ahead and forewarn you, as you may know, as you probably have come to expect with this book, what God is going to inform Habakkuk about today is completely contradictory to what our society and our culture teaches us. Because I think about the example of, of this, um, you know, shopping has taken on an entire new meaning, hasn't it? I remember used to as a kid when my mom said, hey, we gotta go shopping. Oh my goodness. I would have rather just opened my mouth and had her pull out every tooth out of my head. Because as a kid, I hated shopping. And we always ended up at Belk's. 
And for the longest time, I thought it was belts, B-E-L-T-S. I thought it was just a store full of belts, but I finally realized, no, that's not even spelled belts anyway. But the reason I hated going shopping is because guess what? I always ended up in trouble. Me and my brother would always hide in the clothes rack. We were always climbing shelves that we weren't supposed to climb. We were always doing things because we were so impatient. We didn't want to be there. We were tired of waiting on leaving. But now, you know, the, the glory for all of you children is realized when mom says now, a lot of times, or your family says, hey, we're going to shop. That is something as simple as everybody gathering around the kitchen table and opening a computer. Amazon has rescued us from this, right? We all live in an Amazon world. We all live in the reality that we can go shopping and never leave our home. The truth is, is we can find anything without going anywhere. Seems like an impossibility, does it? But no, it's all there on our computer screen. You see, and because of Amazon, we don't have to waste time. We don't have to waste gas. We don't have to get in trouble as a child. We don't have to, we don't have to fight the crowds. We don't have to do, everything is in our lap. But you know what? As shopping has been simplified. We've even taken another step. And I speak from experience. Yesterday, when Cooper and I was riding around, I had one little flashlight in mind that I was trying to buy. I went to four stores looking for that sucker. Bass Pro Shop, Academy Sports, and two Walmarts. Never found it. Frustrated, I was mad, I'd wasted probably half a tank of gas. Came home, opened up my computer, and guess what? Within 32 seconds, there it was. But the one that I found, I was on Amazon, right? But what was the one word that I looked for that needed to be right onto the right side of the picture? Ha, y'all got it. Prime. The first one I found, guess what? It wasn't Prime. So do you think I ordered it? No. I kept looking till I found Prime because I wanted it and I want it now. Right? You know, I've realized that with y'all, y'all don't relate to me when I share my movies. Evidently, you've not seen my movies. You don't listen to the country songs I've listened to. But I'm going to try one more movie this morning. How many of you have seen Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory? Okay, there's like eight of us. Do y'all watch TV? How many of you are familiar with the girl named Veruca? Yes, what does she do? She wants a golden egg, and what does she prance around screaming and yelling at her dad? I want it, and I want it now. Do you understand this is exactly what our society has taught? What we want, we need it now. We go to Six Flags now. Heaven forbid you wait in line. So we got to buy a fast pass, right? We don't want to wait. Heaven forbid us wait. How many of you get agitated sitting in a fast food restaurant line? How many of you have said, I thought this was fast food. We want it. We, I mean, we really, we want it and we want it now. We don't like to wait. We want everything in the moment that we want it. So the truth is, is we are just like Veruca. Then this whole click list thing at the grocery store. <laughs> Some of you don't know how to respond. Look, I'm not going to condemn you for it. Because my wife calls me. I'm getting ready to leave work. Hey, honey, will you go by and pick up groceries? What? You want me to go pick up groceries? I don't know where anything. How many times I call her every time I go to the, honey, where is this at? 
I don't know where it's at. You know, I, I, what I find myself doing is pulling up maps on my phone and thinking that Kroger's going to have a map on there that tells me where olive oil is. Are you kidding me? Are y'all serious? Whoo! I want it and I want it now. But she calls me the other day and she says, but Brian, it's simple. All you got to do is pull up in that parking spot and call that number and they'll bring it to the car. I said, what? And so I'm sitting there in my truck and I pull up and I call that number on the sign and sure as the world, here comes this little teenage girl out to the back of the car. And so I immediately, what do I, I call Chelsea. Chelsea, there's a little girl coming to the car. with. Do I help her? Do I tip her? Because this is not in my culture to sit here and just watch this poor little 14-year-old load my car with groceries. Something is wrong. But it is what it is. We want it, and we want it now. And we don't want to put forth a lot of effort in the waiting process. So what Habakkuk is going to hear today from God is exactly against everything that we live and breathe. Everything that we live and breathe. We want it and we want it now. And that's not what Habakkuk is gonna hear today. So I want you to jump in with me. Habakkuk chapter two. And we're gonna look at verses two and three uh, this morning. And so I want you just to read along with me. If you don't have your Bible, it'll be on the screen. But remember that Habakkuk has said, okay, I'm going to station myself on the rampart. God, I'm going to look for the enemy, but ultimately I'm going to listen for you to speak. And so what we're about to see in verse two is God begins to talk back to Habakkuk and informs him of what he wants him to do. He says this, then the Lord answered me and he said, record the vision and inscribe it on tablets that the one who reads it may run. For the vision is yet for the appointed time and it hastens towards the goal and it will not fail. Though it tarries, dun, 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 wait for it. For it will certainly come and it will not delay. The first instruction that God gives Habakkuk here is he tells him, he says, look, the vision that you're about to see, the vision that I'm about to tell you, I want you to take out a tablet and I want you to write down everything you're going to see. You see, there's a, there's a purpose in what God is doing there. He was wanting to have written evidence of what was to come. And the, the important thing for that is, is so therefore when we fast forward time, when we fast forward the years, all the promises that God is going to let Habakkuk know of, all the promises that are gonna be recorded in this word, what he was wanting was written records of those. So therefore that one day when God's appointed time comes and that promise is fulfilled, we will be opened up to the power and the glory of God. So that we will see that long ago, years ago, God spoke this into existence and now some, who never knows how many years in advance, how many years later, we see what was inscribed become a reality. And all of a sudden you're sitting there going, there's no way. God spoke about this thousands of years earlier and now all of a sudden it's coming to fruition. Look, man, you can read all through this now. And you can see all of these promises. You can see all of these prophecies. We can watch the news. And what's amazing is we are seeing God's word come to life. 
We're seeing it come to fruition. We're seeing it come alive. So he wants Habakkuk to record everything that he's saying so that we can realize how powerful and all-knowing that God is. But what is interesting about it is when you look at the idea that he inscribed it on a tablet, um, there's different tablets, some were wooden, some were stone. But when we read in the context of that, what we have to understand is that the instruction that he was given him was not so that he could just read it, but God was challenging Habakkuk to write it in a way that everyone who read it could understand it. Paint it clearly, write it clearly, so that others who read it will understand it. So that others who read it will see me, will see my glory, will know about me and who I am and my power. And so what we realize there is that God's word is meant for all, that God's word was not just meant for Habakkuk because God's intentions were for others to read it as well. But I want you to pay attention to what happened when people read it. I want you to pay attention to what happened when people made a choice to read it. It says, and inscribe it on tablets that the one who reads it may run. So that the one who reads it may run. What we have to do before we can unpack what running means here is we have to remember the context of which Habakkuk is recording this vision. We have to remember the state of which Judah or the, the, or the, the state of the, of the nation of Israel at this time. You remember what they were walking through, and we shared about this the last several weeks. But the nation of Israel had fallen into sin. They had turned their back on God. They were doing whatever they wanted, however they wanted, whenever they wanted. The Babylonian army was rising in power, and they were attacking from the outside. And so as we shared several weeks ago, the enemy was at work on, inside the nation, and the enemy was attacking from the outside. So everywhere around them, they were seeing the enemy destroy their homes, destroy their family, destroy their life, destroy everything that God had intended. And what is interesting about that is in their mind, you have to wonder, did all they see coming is they just sensed their demise. We've made a mess of this. We have made a mess of what God has entrusted us with. We have turned our back on God. We have fallen into sin. God is mad at us. God's about to punish us. God is about to take out his big whipping, his whipping stick and he's about to beat us. And they're wandering around through life aimlessly because they realize the mistakes that they've made. They realize that they've left God out of everything. And we have to wonder what all the thought process was going on in the nation of Israel at that moment. Were they thinking, okay, God's given up. There's no way that God can love us. We've made so many mistakes. We've walked down these nasty roads and there's no way that God will ever welcome me back in. There's no way that God is gonna restore us. There's no way that God is gonna rescue because of our past, because of our present. And when I was reading that, I was wondering how many people in this room are in the very same state that this country was in. Are we walking through life thinking, you know what? The destruction is all that's left. The destruction is all that is in front of me because what I've done, what I'm presently doing, there's no way that this God can forgive me. There's no way this God can restore me. There's no way that this God can love me right where I'm at because of everything that I've done. There's no way. 
There's no way, no how that God can forgive me. There's no way, and all they feel is that destruction is coming. My question would be is how many of you are in here this morning feeling the very same way? There's no way God can restore. There's no way God can forgive. There's no way God can love me. I've lost everything. I've lost my family. I've lost my home. I've lost my job. I've lost my testimony. I've lost my credibility. I've lost my trust. I've lost everything because of decisions that I have made on my own. There's no way that a God can love me. So while you have these people that are wandering around this nation and they're, they're feeling the weight of all their decisions, they're feeling the weight of all their neglect, the Bible says that those very same people that are in a state of hopelessness, that are walking through a season of darkness, that are walking through the loneliest season of their life, the Bible says that write it so clear so when those people read it, they may run. What does that mean? What does that mean so that they may run? You see, what we have to understand is what they're reading about. You see, when we read the rest of the book of Habakkuk, which is only one more chapter after this one, we have to realize that they are reading verses, verses three through 15, I think it is, in chapter three. And what is packed all in those verses is the rescue of the nation of Israel. And not only is God going to restore them, not only is God going to rescue them, but God is also gonna destroy the enemy. So the Bible says, here's these aimless, hopeless people who think destruction is the only way out, who thinks there's no way that God loves them, who thinks there's no way that God can forgive them. And all of a sudden they're gonna stop by, they're gonna see a stone tablet and they're gonna sit down and they're gonna read it. And all of a sudden what they're reading about is actually their victory of a God who is merciful, a God who is, who is graceful, a God who is loving. And what they're reading about is their rescue. So the very same God they thought hated them, the very same God that they thought had turned their back on them, what they're reading about is a God who still loves them, a God who wants to restore them, a God who wants to bring victory to them. And what is amazing about that is when they open God's word, God's word was breathed out on these tablets, but also God's word was breathed into them. These people that were hopeless, they were reading about hope. These people that were lifeless were, breathing, were reading about life. The people who thought they were in darkness was, was reading about light. And they were reading about the victory that was to come. They were reading about salvation. So these moping around, these rejected people are wandering aimlessly and then all of a sudden they have an encounter with God's word. They have an encounter with God speaking directly to Habakkuk, so therefore speaking directly to them. And so what they read about was God's promises. What they read about was God's victory. But what I also take note of, and, and no, it doesn't say this, I speculate a lot, I, I dream a lot, but it says if they read it, they can run. 
meaning that they had to make an appoint. They had to be disciplined, just like Habakkuk was, to take time out of their chaos, to take time out of their sin and not turn to that sin anymore, not turn to that chaos anymore, but turn to the word of God, turn to the presence of God, draw, crawl up into his lap and say, God, what do you have for me? And so what that acknowledges is that while we love to talk about the grace, while we love to talk about the mercy, the one thing that the church has stopped talking about is repentance. And what we see here is a group of people, what we have to imagine, here's a group of people that had finally gotten to a point where they had pursued their desires, they had pursued their flesh, they had been doing all the things that they wanted to do, and they saw that it was doing nothing but lead to destruction, and now all of a sudden, they had to stop right in their tracks, make an about face, and turn to the only place they knew to turn, and that was the power of this word. That was the power of an almighty God who still loved them. And what we see is that when they had an encounter with his word, when they had an encounter with God, it changed their, their current condition. It changed them from walking around and moping through life aimlessly, sowing seeds of destruction. And the Bible says that they run, if they read it, they may run. I don't know about you, but I know the power of this word and it transforms who we are. It transforms what we know. It transforms our current state or our current condition because this word is life. Life is not found in the mess of this world. Life is not found in our habits. Life is not found in our hobbies. Life is not found in drugs. Life is not found in alcohol. Life is not found in making money. Life is not found in all of these things. Life is found in the presence of an almighty God who gave his son for you so that you could have life and have it to the fullest. That is what life is. Not what this world has to offer but only what the God that we worship and serve has to offer. And that's a relationship with him through the blood of his son. But we as believers today, when we read the promises of God, it should change our perspective. The promises of God should change our perspective. You see, it did for Judah. They were walking through life thinking that destruction was the only thing that was coming. They read God's word, they saw his promises and all of a sudden it changed their perspective. They saw hope, they saw light, they saw life, they saw the rescue, they saw the salvation and they went from walking to running. It changed supernaturally who they were. So we as believers, we run we should run to let others know what we have found in God's word. When we find the hope, when we see the hope, when we see the life, when we see the salvation, when we see the resurrection, when we've experienced all of these things, what we should be doing as a body of believers is to run and let the others that were walking in the same aimless, hopeless world that we were once walking in, let them know about this hope. Let them know about the promises of God. And I don't know about you, but we can't stay still. The supernatural power of God's word takes us from a walking state to an absolute running state to where we have to let people know of this good news.
We have to let people know of this victory. Because when we know victory's coming, it's a little easier to hang on. When we know that victory is coming, it's a little easier to hang on. You know, again, we live in that culture of I want it and I want it now. When we watch, this is, we're in a season of college football. If you're gonna miss a game that afternoon, what do you do? You record it, right? And what do you try to do in that? Do you realize that's the only time we're disciplined enough to ever stay away from our phone? Is when we got a, a, a game that's recorded at home and we don't wanna know the outcome. But the truth is, is if something happens, you get that notification and you look and you see all of a sudden that your team wins in like two overtimes or three overtimes. Does it not make it easier to watch that game when you get home because you know the outcome? You know that victory's coming? Here's the truth, people. As a believer in Jesus Christ, we know that through the way of the cross, the victory's coming. The victory's coming. And by us knowing that, this is what gives us the strength. This is what gives us the power to hold on is we know that victory is coming. So instead of us throwing in the towel, instead of us moping around, getting caught up in our circumstances and our conditions, just be reminded that one day, somehow, sometime, that victory is coming for those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. But until then, we gotta do exactly what the Bible says. So when we read verse two, there's victory in verse two. We're talking about the victory that's coming. We're talking about what has been written down. We're talking about the promises of God. So it's very easy to get excited. It's very easy to get emotional because the victory's coming. But then what God does is he brings things back to reality. And he does that in verse three. And this is the part that we don't like. We love to talk about the victory, but we don't love to talk about this part. Because in verse three, the first thing he says, the, fish, the vision is yet for the appointed time, meaning that the vision is not gonna be fulfilled yet. There's still time. I'm not ready. It's not time for this vision to be fulfilled. But then he says, but it hastens towards the goal and it will not fail. You say, well, what, what do you mean it hastens towards the goal? What that means is to hasten towards the goal is that it means that we're taking steps in the right direction. We're taking steps in the right direction for God to accomplish his goal. And we talked about his goal last week and we all know that God's goal is to reconcile the lost back to himself, to rescue and to, to save that which were lost. That is what God's goal is. But we know that until God has fulfilled, until that timing is done, until God has reached his goal, until God has done what God wants to do, there's some time in between. And it says that, that this is what's leading us up to that. So the problem is, is what all happens in that waiting? There's a lot of heartache in that waiting. There's a lot of what we as a world would say are disasters in that waiting. There's a lot of death in that waiting. There's a lot of sin in that waiting. There's a lot of neglect in that waiting. But what we have to understand it is that the hardships now, 
the hardships of our life that we are walking through right now in our present moment, we have to be okay with that this is part of the process. This is part of the process of God drawing people into himself. Last week, we shared several examples of disaster that have brought people to the house of God to where they have heard the gospel and where they've responded to the gospel. So what the world would look at as a disaster or what the world would look at as a train wreck, God used it to draw people to himself. And this is what it's talking about when it was hastening towards his goal. It was hastening towards in a step in the right direction. But where we as believers, what is so hard for us is we've got to realize that sometimes our disaster is part of that process. And we've just got to trust God with that. We've got to trust God with the process as hard as it is. And so the reality is, is while we are here on this earth, we're waiting. We are waiting. And I'll just tell you this. Um, well, no, I'll, I'll go there in just a minute. I want to get ahead of myself. But it says, though it tarries, wait for it. Though it tarries, what is he talking about? Though it tarries, meaning the goal is not here yet. He's not reached his goal. This life is not over yet. But until this, us as believers, he tells us to wait for it. You see, where we have to be careful is when we interpret what does he mean by waiting. Waiting is not what we think. Waiting is not what we think as the idea of waiting is. Because how many of you like waiting? If you raise your hand, you are lying through your teeth. I know one of the most dreaded places to wait is a doctor's office. You walk in there, you're on time, your appointment was at 10 o'clock and 11.15, they still have not acknowledged you. So you're impatient, you get aggravated. Many of you will go through a fast food line in just a moment after you leave here. You'll make your order at the window and you'll get stuck in line. And you get mad because you're waiting because you want it and you want it now. How many of you have ever waited on a phone call? That one's miserable, right? Maybe you're not there anymore, but I, you remember in high school when you waited on that boyfriend, that girlfriend to call you back? Y'all seen, you know, you sat there with the phone, with the antenna, and how many times did you pull that sucker in and out, making sure that it worked? You would go to somebody, hey, can you call me? I just wanna make sure my phone's working because we don't like waiting. We sit there and we hold the phone waiting on the call that we're waiting for. But, but the reality is, is that's not the waiting that God has called us to do. So you say, Brian, what do we do during the waiting? What do we do during the waiting? You heard what to do in the waiting, right? Those who read the word of God, what would they do? They would run. So we as believers, we don't sit around and twiddle our thumbs and just wait on the return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We don't sit around and just wait on God to call us home. We don't just sit around and wait on this life to be over here. What we do in the waiting time is we run. We make his name famous. We fulfill the calling that God has on all of our life because the truth is, is you were once walking hopeless and aimlessly through life. You found life through the word of God and it should have caused you to run. Well, guess what? There's people in this world right now 
who are walking aimlessly without hope. They're turning to everything but God. And guess what? You should be running to them. Say, here's the good news that I read. Here's the good news that God has given me. Here is the God-breathed message that God is calling me to breathe on you. Because something God brought me just to a place of thanksgiving this week. Today, if you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, you do realize that you are product of somebody else's waiting. How many of us has prayed for God to return? How many of us has prayed for God to come get his children? I have, you have. And I'll be honest, I've prayed it a lot in the last three weeks. I said, God, I am sick of this world. I'm sick of this life. So God, just come on back. Come on back and look. Yes, we should all long for that. Yes, we should pray for that. Yes, there should be victory in that. But also there should be victory in the waiting Because the longer we wait, guess what? That's a longer time for people to come to know our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So what we need to be doing today is praising God that we were part of somebody else's waiting. That somebody waited, that God waited. That the disaster that somebody else walked through was part of the process of you coming to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. So we need to be thankful for the waiting today. You were rescued during the waiting. You were saved during the waiting. And there's no doubt in my mind this morning that there's somebody here who has never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. There's somebody here this morning that if you were to take your last breath here on this earth because you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you would be eternally separated from a God who loves you more than you can even comprehend. But today you're in the middle of a waiting season and you've got time. Make the most of the waiting. Make the most of the season that we're in now. You know, there's no doubt this morning that there's people who have put this off and put it off and put it off. And you're saying, I'm not ready to surrender. I'm happy doing my thing. I'm happy doing what I wanna do. I'm happy living my life the way that I wanna live my life and I'm just not ready to give it up. Can I tell you, there's gonna be a day that you will say, I wish I'd have been ready to give it up. Yes, is it difficult to to die to our flesh? Yeah, it's hard. But in that moment, even with all of life's struggles, even with all the mistakes that we make, 
as a believer in Jesus Christ, you realize when you take that last breath here on this planet, you will take your first breath in the presence of your Savior. And there's somebody here today that you need to do exactly what the Bible says and you need to confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead because the Bible says you will be saved. It doesn't say you might. It doesn't say that you gotta clean all this stuff up first. It doesn't say you gotta get this straightened. You gotta restore this. You gotta make this right. No, but it says, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Today, let the waiting stop. Let the waiting stop today. So this morning, I want every head bow and every eye closed. And if you could be honest this morning with yourself, be honest with God, don't pay attention to the person on your right, to your left. This is you and him. This is you and him. You say, God, I've trusted you as my personal savior. God, I've asked you to save me. God, yes, I failed. Yes, I've making mistakes. But God, I know that you love me right where I'm at. And I am thankful that I know that when my life is over here, I know that when my time is done, that I will wake up in your presence because I have placed my faith and my trust in you. If you can say that without a doubt this morning, I want you to raise your hand and put it right back down. Thank you. Hands going up all around the room. Thank you. You can put them down now. If you're here this morning, you can say, Brian, I can't say that. I've wrestled with this thing for years. I've wrestled with this thing maybe just today. But if you can say, Brian, I've never trusted Jesus as my savior. I thought I had to clean up first. I thought I had to fix this first. I thought I had to fix that first. But you're telling me that this God's gonna love me right where I'm at if I will turn to him and quit chasing after me? Brian, will that God love me? Absolutely, that God will love you. And so if you're here this morning and you can say, I've never trusted him as my savior, but I wanna do that today. I want you to put your hand up and put it right back down. Anybody, anybody, thank you. I see your hand. Thank you. Thank you. What I'm gonna ask you to do in the quietness of the stillness of this moment is nobody looking around, nobody's talking. If you raise your hand that you're a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, you ought to be praying right now for the lost. Because there's people who have identified this morning that they don't know Jesus. So there's about to be a holy conversation between the lost and an almighty, righteous, perfect God. But this morning, if you raised your hand that you need to be saved, I just wanna challenge you to have a conversation with God right now. I'm not gonna tell you a prayer to repeat. I'm not gonna to tell you because God knows your heart. God knows exactly what you are thinking right now in this moment. But I'll, I will tell you what I prayed as a 12-year-old boy. I knew that I needed to be saved. I knew I'd never trusted Jesus as my Savior. And here's what I prayed. God, save me. That's all I knew to pray. And that's the desire of your heart this morning. I'm asking you this morning to ask God to save you. The Bible says, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. 
And so if you just asked God to save you, if you just surrendered your heart and your life to him, you turned yourself away from chasing after your desires and you say, God, starting today, I'm gonna follow you. I don't even know what this whole church thing's about. I don't even know what this whole God thing's about, but today, God, I'm gonna step out on faith. And if that's you this morning and you just had a conversation with God and asked God to save you, look, don't stay quiet about it. And I would encourage you this morning as we give a response time, I would ask you to come and and let me know. Somebody beside you, grab their hand and, and let them walk with you. Because church, this is not something that we want to point fingers, but here's what we want to do today is we want to celebrate. We want to celebrate salvation. You say, well, Brian, I can't stand up in front of everybody. They know what I did. They know what I've done. Here's what I tell you. If they're judging you for what you've done, they're probably the ones that need to be down here themselves. God, this morning, I thank you for the hands that went up. But God, I'm praying right now for boldness. Lord, their heart's probably pounding out of their chest. They probably don't know what all this looks like. But God, today, I pray that they would step out on faith so that we can celebrate with them today. But God, as believers, we ought to be on our face in this altar praying for those who have not yet surrendered because God, the truth is, is there are people here in this room who have not surrendered. And so God, as believers, we ought to be on our face this morning crying out for salvation. And so God, we just praise your name that you still save. And Lord, as hard as it is today, we worship you in the waiting worship you in the waiting today. And we ask all of this in your son's name. Amen. If you'll stand to your feet.